Welcome to the Glenwood Table Podcast, where we are reimagining Christian faith for the 21st century. I'm your host, Lance Hurst, and you can refer to me with they, them pronouns. Today, I'd like to explore with you the history of Juneteenth and how this interacts with our own Christian story. Many of us in the United States grew up not even knowing about this history. But today I'd like to invite you into a little bit of history sharing while also asking what does this history have to do with how we think about freedom in our Christian journey and how we are connected to each other's freedom. Enjoy. So it's officially the month of June in the year 2021 and I and finding myself falling in love with the month of June more and more. So one of the reasons for this is that I'm seeing this month as a reminder of the importance of freedom and the way that we celebrate freedom, the way that we think about how we embrace our own freedom, and the way that we make the road a road of freedom for others who are still searching and seeking freedom. So there's really two big things happening this month that really spark this idea of freedom for me. The first is that Juneteenth is this month, and the second is this is the month where we celebrate pride. If you're like me, you may have grown up never hearing the word Juneteenth. But I just want to give you a little snippet. It's a short reading. It's from the National Museum of African American History and Culture's website, where they explain what Juneteenth is. So here is that reading. On Freedom's Eve, or the eve of January 1st, 1863, the first watch night services took place. On that night, enslaved and free African Americans gathered in churches and private homes all across the country, awaiting news that the Emancipation Proclamation had taken effect. At the stroke of midnight, prayers were answered as all enslaved people in Confederate states were declared legally free. Union soldiers, many of whom were Black, marched onto plantations and across cities in the South, reading small copies of the Emancipation Proclamation spreading the news of freedom in Confederate states. I want to pause here, and I just want to read an excerpt from the Emancipation Proclamation. And by virtue of the power, and for the purpose aforesaid, I, President Lincoln, do order and declare that all persons held as slaves within said designated states and parts of states are and henceforward shall be free and that the executive government of the United States, including the military and naval authorities thereof, will recognize and maintain the freedom of said persons. Now let's jump back in briefly to the reading from the National Museum of African American History and Culture. But not everyone in Confederate territory would immediately be free. Even though the Emancipation Proclamation was made effective in 1863, it could not be implemented in places still under Confederate control. As a result, in the westernmost Confederate state of Texas, enslaved people would not be freed until much later. 
Freedom finally came on June 19, 1865, when some 2,000 Union troops arrive at Galveston Bay, Texas. The Army announced that the more than 250,000 enslaved Black people in the state were free by executive decree. This day came to be known as Juneteenth by the newly freed people in Texas. Juneteenth marks our country's second Independence Day. Although it has long been celebrated in the African-American community, this monumental event remains largely unknown to most Americans. The historical legacy of Juneteenth shows the value of never giving up hope in uncertain times. I am so struck by this. I'm struck by the fact that as they mention in this reading, many, many people who grow up in the United States of America have no idea that Juneteenth even exists, myself being one of those people until a few years ago. I'm struck by the last line in that reading, that this legacy that Juneteenth offers us is one of never giving up hope in uncertain times. You know, growing up, I think I often, you know, I come from the Deep South. Let me start there. And in the Deep South, you know, I don't think that people would have ever said that they taught people to be racist. But the very way that our lives were structured, were structured in such a way that race mattered. For instance, in the town where I come from, I remember we would drive around to our neighbors because we lived 20 minutes outside of the city limits. Now, when I say city, I mean, it's got three red lights, so do what you want with that. But the people who lived outside of the city limits were people who usually owned the land, and they were usually white. And it was when we would go into the city limits that we would see people of color particularly Black people. And it created this dichotomy in my mind. And even though no one said anything, the very situation in which we lived said something. It said something about who had enough money to own land. It said something about who was given the space, the freedom to choose where to live. It said something about who felt safe to live out in the countryside. It said a lot without saying anything. And so I also think I learned as a child, which was that there was different histories. We learned about Martin Luther King in school. I mean, by that time, we had moved away from that city and we were living in a larger city. I just remember having this sense that somehow, even though Martin Luther King was part of our textbook, part of our learning, there was still this separation, right? We had African American History Month, but we had white history all year long, it felt like. Like there was this delineation of history and one was somehow lesser than the other. Nobody really said that, yet the way that it got taught was like, oh, by the way, 
it's February, so we are going to talk about Martin Luther King. Or it's Martin Luther King Day weekend coming up, so we're going to talk about Martin Luther King. And yet, now that I'm older and I've lived in many different places and have many more experiences and have become much more aware of the racism that is just in the air that we breathe in this country, I'm struck by this notion that Juneteenth leaves a legacy for all of us, that the freedom of one group of people is really about the freedom of all people, that our freedom is deeply interconnected, that even as a white person, who I experience privileges in many areas and less privilege in other areas based on other parts of my identity. But by and large, I'm a person of great privilege. And it can be easy to think that people who are suffering, people who have negative circumstances, who have painful circumstances in their life right now, that their lives are so disconnected from mine that it doesn't really matter. It can feel easy to say like, oh, well, I'm living my life and maybe they'll figure it out one day, right? And it's a fine balance, right? Because on the other side, we don't want to become the white saviors who jump in to save the day. But we also want to recognize that there is solidarity. There is a space for learning, for listening, for opening our hearts, for being willing to say, I hear what you're saying. I see what you're talking about. I am willing to open up my heart and my mind to be moved by what you're saying. And I'm willing to do something, to respond Right? And of course, this is a process for all people. Right? This is very much an internal journey, but it's not an individual journey. I believe that the reality is, is that our humanity is so deeply interconnected. We are an ecosystem. And so what we do as individuals is impacting other parts of the ecosystem. And so again, going back to this idea that Other people's freedom or lack of freedom is very much connected to my own sense of freedom. So the reading ends again with this this sentence. The historical legacy of Juneteenth shows the value of never giving up hope in uncertain times. That's a really powerful statement considering the uncertain times that they are referring to. Can you imagine the uncertain times of being an enslaved person and not seeing any end in sight to your enslavement? Can you imagine not seeing any end in sight and holding on to hope? How does one find hope in a situation like that? Where do we go? Where do we turn? And what does Christianity have to do with all of this? What does faith have to do with any of this? I think, again, the Christianity that I grew up with very much was divorced from these kinds of issues. It didn't really address any systemic injustice. It was really concerned with, well, you know, this life is going to suck no matter who you are. 
So we really shouldn't compare in the first place is kind of like the logic there. But the other thing was, you just need to pray and trust God. And the reality is, at the end of the day, this was said over and over again, is that your ultimate healing or your ultimate freedom comes in death because you get to go to heaven and all things are right there. Now, I hear what you're saying, and I certainly can see the ways that that does offer a sense of hope, particularly when you are in a situation in life that is horrible, that has no end in sight, that you don't think will change ever. But here's the thing, is that allows people, for instance, in this scenario, think about the slave owners who used Christianity as a means of enforcing enslavement. They used texts from the New Testament in particular, from Paul's epistles, to say, no, what we're doing is right, good, holy, and true. And you know what? It's okay, guys. It's okay. Because if you just pray and trust the Lord, you're going to die and go to heaven. So you know what? This life is miserable for all of us. It's miserable for me too. Can you imagine being on the other end of that? Can you imagine hearing that? What that would do to you? Who is God in that situation? We often think about this impartial God. But what about the God of the oppressed? The God who sees the tears. The God who cares, who is moved by suffering of people. Unnecessary suffering. And so... Again, where is Christianity in the midst of this? In one of the most um, informative, helpful classes that I took in seminary was called African-American Pauline Hermeneutics, which was basically looking at the ways that people who are black used Paul's epistles, Paul's letters in the New Testament as they moved from being enslaved to freedom. It was a look at the way that people chose to engage or not engage. And the truth of the matter was, is there's a whole spectrum there. You know, some people said, well, Paul was really used to hurt me, so bye, Paul. And others were like, you know what? There's still a lot of truth and wisdom here. So we're still going to dive in and we're still going to hold out hope. And the reality is what we see emerge is this dynamic spirituality that is very much about changing people's situations here and now while also giving them tools to cope and to get to the next day. Right, That's a spirituality that is rooted here and now. It's not just about saying, well, one day we're going to die and you're going to go to heaven, so it's all going to be okay. The suffering will have been worth it. No, it's about saying there's suffering here and now, and there's something for us to do about it here and now. Christianity can be used in multiple ways, right? On the one hand, it can be used as this sort of passive, just pray, trust, it's all okay, whatever, get over it. Or it can be used in this way 
that invites change, that invites transformation. And at the end of the day, this is what I believe the gospel is all about. When John the baptizer comes on the scene, John the baptizer saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. We often think of this word repent in sort of this moralistic bad way, like you are a really bad person and you got to change. You got to turn it around. You got to get your life. But the reality is, is that in Greek, metanoia, the word that we translate as repentance, it also refers to this concept of opening our minds, of imagining a new world. Repentance is actually an invitation to dream of a better and more just world, a world where our freedom is everyone's freedom. It's not just for some. A world where people have the right and capacity to be their full selves while also caring for each other and empowering and enabling others to be their full selves. It's a world where the creation The earth is honored, loved, cared for. It's a world where we can really see each other, where we can say, you know what? There are uncertain times. There's uncertain times right now and there's uncertain times ahead. And we can hold out hope because we believe that together we can work on this world. We can work to create something together. And the reality is, is it's often the people who are suffering. It's often the people who have lost their freedom because someone took it away from them that have taught us this message historically over and over and over again. And this is clearly here in Juneteenth, in this celebration that even when hope seems distant, we will still work to create a better world because our personal freedom is tied to our communal and global freedom. And I think that's the invitation, is to see the work that's in front of us, to see where we hear the Spirit of God inviting us to join in that work and to move in that way. And Juneteenth is a reminder to us the ways that we as humans can choose to oppress others. It's a reminder to us of humans who were resilient in the face of oppression. And it's a reminder to us that we don't need to create more places where humans have to be resilient to live. We don't need to create more unnecessary suffering but we are invited into repentance, into imagining a new and more beautiful world. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Glenwood Table Podcast. We'll be back with more episodes soon. We'll be talking about pride and we'll also have our lectionary and a human voice series going. So stay tuned for more episodes. And as always, if you ever have any questions that you want us to address, you can email us at thetable at fpcglenco.org. Again, that's thetable at fpcglenco.org. Remember that you are loved and you are enough.
take care.